Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in, Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Today, Matt and I host a super interesting cat. His name's Mike. He's out of Calgary physically. Uh, he's a mortgage broker, covers you know all throughout Canada. Very in tune with where we are economically. He provides a great service generally. And uh, the biggest takeaway I had, I don't know about you, Matt, was just be curious, ask the right questions, work with the right people. But um, yeah, there are a ton of gold nuggets in this one. Mortgage money whiz. I think he lives up. Yeah. I'm going to follow him on Mortgage Money Wiz. Um, he gives out some awesome info. And um, yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Well, it does go a little long, this one, doesn't it? It is a bit long. So we won't uh, we won't waste any of your time. We'll just dive straight into it here. Welcome to the uh, icebreaker. This segment of the show is brought to you by Taylor at Venture Mortgages. Come venture into the exciting world of mortgages. So yeah, we'll just get going. We we kind of start with the um, you know, what's your perfect day look like? So we'll jump into that question. And yeah, it looks like you're more than ready there. So okay, welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Hey, my absolute pleasure, guys. So yeah, we generally just start with lay out your perfect day for us. Generally, you know, a Friday, what it looks like to to wake up in the life of Mike and uh, what gives you energy throughout the day and then leading into the weekend, you know, how do you kind of uh, finish off with some work-life balance? I love it. Uh, well, with it being Friday, I'm really hoping there's not too many closing situations that are going to be happening because um, if anything goes south, that's always a little bit of a mini nightmare. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in, you do end up having a good amount of closings or again, financing condition days on Friday. So the beginning of the day is always kind of running around with your head chopped off, making sure everything's all in line and everything's all set with the team. And then, uh, hey, if I've got my kiddos, then you know we're dropping off at school, doing different things along those lines. How old are your kids? Uh, kiddos are 10 and five, two girls. So I have them half time. They're an absolute blast. So on those days, yeah, you kind of focus in on them, make sure that they're getting out the door, heading off to school drop off all that sort of fun stuff. And then, yeah, honestly, it's just work. Maybe there's some content stuff that I want to film. I try not to do too much content, social media stuff on the weekends, you know, being present, whether that be, you know, with the girlfriend or with the kiddos when I have them. So then, yeah, that's honestly what the majority of the day is. Usually try to finish off either with a workout, something else along those lines and, and just kind of set myself up so I can really shut off during the weekend. Uh, cause I find that that allows me to have the best, I would say the best amount of productivity, even during the week, kind of when you have that reset and and that ability. But there's also tons of times that I'm answering texts and emails and doing stuff on the weekend, uh, just because obviously you guys know that's what kind of sets us apart with regards to other people in the industry. So yeah, that's honestly it. It's pretty pretty relaxed. Usually the same thing, and uh, yeah, sounds great. And your nickname on social media is the Mortgage Money Whiz. Yeah. So I had the mortgage was for the longest time. And then just with having as much of a financial background, I always wanted to kind of chit chat about, you know, other investing things or, you know, index fund structures or just anything that kind of came from that standpoint. Again, not necessarily around advice, but just kind of insight and in, in showing that. So I kind of flipped it over and said the mortgage money was just because then it allows me to feels like I can then talk about other things that aren't 
always just mortgage related. As you know, probably on social media, you know, just talking about real estate, you know, every time's a good time to buy and every time's a good time to sell as a real estate agent. Every time's a good time to get a mortgage as a mortgage broker. So how do you peel back some of those layers and try to, you know, create a little bit, bit more from that standpoint? How long have you been a broker? Uh, broker for now, eight and a half, almost nine years. And then, yeah, in the financial industry for about 15. So the financial industry, you were working with some of the, the big five banks doing commercial lending or what was your role? Yeah, played around at RBC. So I was there for probably about three and a half, four years, played from small business. I had a desk, a clientele that was mainly agriculture. So you're obviously doing a ton of lending with the egg space, you, which was a ton of fun. And that ended up getting me into doing a lot of the land loans. So doing the raw land loans at you know RBC and what that all looked like. Uh, and then I just kind of realized that was... I really like that, um, you know, playing around in that world and just, again, even facilitating money for people and creating the kinds of opportunity. Now, a lot of people will kind of say, hey, you know, my personal home is different than someone, you know, running a business. And I would say yes and no, like they still have the same foundations. You still need to be looking at opportunity and how you can, again, leverage someone else's money. And uh, yeah, played around in the commercial world. Again, the commercial side was like bigger agricultural clients and just doing some really cool and crazy products and, and just opportunities for farmers. Do you still work in that space at all right now? Like as a residential broker, the raw land stuff is, there's not a lot of lenders that are advantageous to work with, I guess, in the broker channel. That's so true. And and I think it's also exhausting too, because the amount of information that we get in and the lenders that will do it, they also have other things. So it's kind of like a little bit of a side note. It's like, okay, yeah, you can do it. You got to have 35, 40% as a down payment. You got to kind of be a knockout of the park and, you know, we're going to, you know, charge you extra or, you know, we got to go play with an alternative or, you know, unless you're a premier lender, you got to be building something on it within some duration of time, you know, like all those different things. So I think for brokers and even for people, you know, that are looking at that, it's exhausting to, figure out what you want to do um, and and play around with that. But there is a ton of opportunity, especially when you jump up into the commercial space. And I would say more that raw land of like agriculture. Um, obviously, that's not a big thing in Kelowna. But once you get out to other areas, especially when it has to do with crops, like because the crops are going to show a consistent amount of return on money, that's where you can actually have a lot of fun uh, with regards to being able to facilitate opportunities for Again, a lot of those egg people that are out there. But now when you're talking about, you know, pieces of land that you guys have available, you know, a little sliver of lakefront, those are always, yeah, like you said, very tough to pull off and and put in place just because a lot of lenders are just so hesitant to do anything like that. So is your kind of uh, biggest clientele residential single family houses throughout Alberta? Like you're, you're physically based in Calgary but you're, you're doing mostly spread out throughout Alberta or all over Canada? Yeah, I would say probably about 50% of my business is in Alberta, Calgary. And then you're looking at probably another 20 to 30% is playing off around in Ontario. And then 10 to 15% around Vancouver, Victoria, on the island, stuff like that. And you uh, you come out to visit Kelowna once in a while then? You're, you know the area? Yeah, actually, my uh, my my ex wife, she was in the area, so used to spend tons of time out there. I love traveling out there. I love getting out there. Absolutely, again, awesome people, <laughs> gorgeous place to obviously be as long as it's not on fire. Uh, so, if we don't have oh, ash, 
Yeah. Alberta's pretty brutal. Yeah, we had a rough summer, you know, and then, I don't know, the last week and a half, it's been some sort of ridiculous heat wave. So it feels very post-apocalyptic these days with, you know, red suns and heat waves killing everyone. So I don't know. I think no matter where you kind of go in Western Canada, you're kind of getting stuck during that summer, depending on how, you like, the fire and how hot it actually is. But overall, like, obviously being in Lake Country, Kelowna, Vern, and everything along those lines, even all the way down to Penticton and Asoyuz, is just... I don't know. There's just something about it. That's just so like, you can just shut off and you just feel like really connected. And it's just a really, really great place to, to be for sure. Yeah. Well, can we, um, can we dive into the economics of the housing market a little bit then? Um, let's and, go. Yeah. Speaking about <laughs> Kelowna versus Calgary, there's a lot of clients that go back and forth. A lot of people that have a vacation home here or a real estate investment in Calgary. Um, do you think the Kelowna market makes sense or the Okanagan market makes sense? Like, you know, you highlighted a lot of good things. There's, there's a lake here, there's wineries, people love coming here, vacation, it's good lifestyle, et cetera. But is it unaffordable right now? Is it to the point where it doesn't make sense from a homeowner point of view or an investor? Yeah, that's kind of the catch, right? Pretty put you on the spot there, yeah. No, I like that. And I think... Not only economically, just from a straight up price point, that is difficult. So let's just even say if we're going to be qualifying someone as a second home, you got to carry both mortgages. So you've got whatever you've got sitting in Calgary. And then on top of that, you want to add on, again, if you want to go buy in Kelowna to be able to put something in place. Again, Kelowna is tough. If you're willing to go and look outside of that, you know, again, sneaking on, but even Summerland, even uh, Peachland, like those are still all kind of like, again, you want a detached four bedroom, three bath, like uh, all those different things and enough room to like toss a boat or throw your RV. That is wildly expensive, like just no matter what. And so I do see that just being again, kind of you're, you're talking about the upper middle class of being able to kind of afford something. I would say with respects to that, secondary vacation. You're just strictly going to use it. It's personally for your use. You're not generating any income off of it in any way, shape or form. Whereas I love the idea of, again, investing, I would say probably more your B and C properties, like the premier A properties, they're going to go to the rich people, you know, the lawyers, the engineers and everyone like that who can handle both of it and grab all of it. But those B's and C's, the one that has the dilapidated fence or the different thing that maybe you need to pour a little bit of money into, you know, just maybe not on find, what do they say? Um, find the worst house on the best street, you know, that kind of stuff where you kind of sneak in and you can kind of do a little bit of work. I think that's where the unforeseen opportunity is, especially in the Okanagan and everywhere. And not necessarily being married, be like, I need to be in Kelowna and I need to be a five minute walk away from uh, whatever that one, uh, your big beach that's over there by the bridge. I forget what that one's called. Like as, as long as you have that brain, that mentality being like, no, but knowing that the appreciated value of this area and, and what that looks like. And obviously you guys are also stuck too, because you're, you're trapped, <laughs> you're trapped by lakes and, you know, mini mountains everywhere. So there's only so far that you can really go at a certain point, you know, fast forward five or 10 years. It's like, you almost kind of have to start building up um, just because it's just, it's kicking out. And then obviously to build a home, you know, on a mountain retaining walls, et cetera, et cetera. It's just that much more expensive to expand the community and make it that much bigger. I don't think you get to look five, 10 years out. I think that's happening right now. Come on. Yeah. It's kind of funny. This morning, this is a bit off topic, but this morning I was in the shower and I was just I guess our conversation, we, our last podcast, we were talking about mortgages and I just had this thought but about being qualified for a mortgage, how we have the stress test and how I think it's kind of helped save a lot of uh, the negative things of the interest rate raising. But then I was thinking like, why, why are we stress testing people 
on fixed mortgages and variable mortgages the same way. I don't know why I just thought about it this morning, but like, why is that the thing? You think that if you're going to do a stress test on a fixed, you'd almost want to stress test the income more than the mortgage rate because the mortgage rate's not changing. And the interest rate on the variable, we've noticed that 2% is probably not enough. It feels like it'd be almost safer for the economy to do like a a lower stress test on the fixed because you know it's not changing. So when things like this, with the volatility and our interest rates happen like this, less impact and then maybe almost more on the variable. I don't know. I just, I was thinking about that this morning. Like, what do you guys think about that? I like it. Taylor, do you want to jump in on this? You want to take a hit at it? Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point. Totally out of left field there, but I just, I had to get it off. Just. I love this. All the left field stuff. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. It makes a lot of sense. The The only thing I don't like about it is, so if, obviously there's different terms, right? We have a one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year, 10-year fixed. So essentially, you know, if that were the case and this was implemented, you would probably put a smaller stress test amount on the longer term product, right? So a five-year fixed would probably have like a 1% stress test where the one year would have the 2% because it's kind of like a variable, like one year goes by pretty quick. So the only thing I dislike about it is you're encouraging people to lock in to a longer term mortgage. And statistically, people are going to break that mortgage in that five-year term. And then the penalty associated with that IRD, if rates have gone down, like it's really hard to foresee whether that's beneficial. I just don't want to have a regulatory body basically encourage somebody to go into a 10-year fixed product when it doesn't benefit them. But other than that, I do think there's some validity there. Yeah, I would I would concur. And even we've got a perfect example. So, you know, let's just say we were what we were stress testing people at, you know, either whatever your contract rate is plus 2%, you know, for the longest time or 5.25. Well, some could have their 1.8, their 2 or whatever that looks like qualified at 5.25. What are they renewing in today? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Right. And so like that, it was actually like you look at it from the stress test standpoint, you're like, oh, that was one of the only things that these regulatory bodies seem to be doing right these days over the last couple of years is that's one of the one things that you actually kind of nailed on the top of the head is that structure. Now, the caveat is if if it keeps like, again, what we got fixed all jumping up this week. So you have these different things. And if now your renewal is, you know, three months from now, four months from now, you know, reach out to Taylor and myself, let's get your rate locked in. Let's do this. But at the same time, you now have now we're even that much higher. Now all of a sudden we're playing at you know 5.7, 5.8, 5.9. Now we're actually beyond the qualifying. Now, what has your hey, I got my mortgage, everything's good and great. I had my salary-based job, and you know what? I'm self-employed now for a year and a half. You're like, oh, okay. And you know what? I don't really claim a whole lot of income because I didn't actually chit-chat with you about how much income I should actually claim in order to make sure that I can qualify at the best interest rates when my renewal comes up. How many clients do we have that are like that? You know? And so <laughs> this never happens. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. So that that's obviously one of those things. So I would say that yes, at the end of the day, it it was a very, very smart move and they did a good job. Are there some tweaks? Because everyone's all freaking out about it right now because we're at the peak point. We're at the market cycle where the interest rates have gone past our 20, you know, 30 year cycle with regards to 3.5 to 5 was a nice little operating room with regards to your mortgage, whether it be fixed or variable, however that plays in. That's a nice, nice, wonderful world. We've now snuck up past that. We're now, we've now kind of kicked off the ceiling. And now everyone's all like, I don't like this, you know, because they're upset. Um, because yeah, the qualifying, you know, structure is that higher. And can it 
still continue? Well, we're not seeing the bond yield slow down anytime soon. So they just keep, you know, here's a little dip and everyone's like, oh, really? And then all of a sudden they're like, now we're going to go back up past 4%. You're like, okay, cool. Great. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's one of those conundrums. Can, can something be, is there something better out there? Maybe is what we have right now. Pretty darn good. Yeah. I agree. Like you don't want to, sometimes you just got to let her be, but uh, yeah, yeah. Right. We have all these people that are, fixed rates that don't even realize what's happening. Like if you're not paying attention to this kind of thing, you probably have no idea what the interest rates are. If your mortgage payments just haven't changed. Right. And then like, obviously everyone on variables yeah. is, getting, is feeling it. Right. I feel yeah. like the stress test was made for people on variables really to make sure they could do it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, the tough thing is that, and, and like I said before is they basically encouraged people into a product and it was the same you know, a year and a half, two years ago, where when the stress test came out and prime variable was much lower, we could qualify for somebody. And really, we were just using variable rate mortgage a year and a half, two years ago, because they could qualify for the most amount of money. And unfortunately, that's, I guess, the relationship of the mortgage broker and the client and the real estate agent is, hey, we can qualify you for the max amount, but you know, you're in this product and there's some volatility to it during that conversation, most people just want to get into the house that they want, right? We don't think that rates are going to go up 2% over the next year. I don't know. Should they have, Mike? Like, was it the right move for the government Ooh. in terms of control inflation? If you were tip, if you had yes. this position, what would you do? Um, I would have jumped on it way sooner. I would have started raising rates before people were comfortable with it, before it was a reactionary. But that's also how I build my business and how I build my life. I'm going to build everything based off of a worst case scenario. So even said just now, hey, we're talking about variable interest rate and this and what we can qualify. I literally looked at all my clients and I said, in the craziest chance that we get all the way up to 6%, <laughs> I was like, can we still afford it? You know, I was like, I was having those conversations. I'm like, this is wild. You know, the good old governor told us interest rates aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Like we were told like smarter people than me were supposed to be smarter people than me are out here saying all these different things. And what are we doing as mortgage brokers? We're giving the proper advice. I'm listening to economists. I'm listening to the governor of the Bank of Canada. Canada say, this is what's going to happen. Okay. Awesome. We're ready to rock out. No. And then all of a sudden it all comes collapsing in on top of you. And then we look like idiots and we're like, "Uh," but it was that guy, but no, you know, our world, especially as mortgage brokers, maybe not so much as real estate agents, everything's all fault. Even if it takes someone two weeks to send us a pay stub, uh, it's still our fault. Uh, (laughs) That's just, that's just our world. So if I was to go back and do things and, and you were to look at what that all looks like, I would say, the inflation, again, when we're looking at 2019 to 2020, no one was spending anything. Everyone was locked down and everyone was cut up. So you're looking at inflation. If you go back to the markers, it's all the way down to like a quarter of a percent. Like nothing's moving. Nothing's going on. Everything costs the same. And then it like quadruples in six months. But a quadruple of 0.25% isn't that big of a deal. Cool. Great. We're at 1.5%, you know, within like two, three months. I was just like, but then all of a sudden it goes up to like two and a half, three percent. Then again, hey, that's that's supposed to be our our operating spot. Cool, we're great, you know, right? Two and a half, three percent, and it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa! But guys, we went from 0.25 all the way up to two and a half to three percent within an eight month window. You're not seeing any sort of snowball like nightmare that's possibly going to be happening. And then boom, we fast forward that like after that, like initial structure of like bang, 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 the inflation technically going up to where it was supposed to go. 
and then you watch it just blow up till kingdom come. So if, if I had been Tiff and I had been looking at that, I would have looked at and said, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Yes. I understand that we're coming out of something, but what are all our habits? What's our economic habits? What are our consumer psychology? As we know, even look at the real estate market. We came out of what 2020, everyone hadn't bought homes. Everyone hadn't done anything. Everyone had put renos into their homes. Everyone was doing all that kind of stuff. And the market skyrocketed till kingdom come for like what an eight month window. Cause the consumer psychology was like, I got to move. I haven't moved for two years. I was supposed to move, but we didn't move because, you know, and yeah, that was just a major miss. I think they could have curbed it. I don't think we would have ever, we would have probably still spiked up pretty aggressively, but it wouldn't have been 8%. You probably would have like maxed out at five and a half, maybe 6%. You would have had a much more controlled structure instead of this roller coaster ride that we've had for the last two years. You know, at the time, the real estate market is just absolutely cooking. And we have like virtually 0% interest rates on the mortgages. And it was just, it was so obvious. Like this was not obvious, but it was obvious that they had to start going up at some point. Right. And then now it's looking back. They were being very proactive to stimulate the economy when we didn't know if it needed to be stimulated. And then they weren't being proactive to try and slow it down when it was clearly taking off. They just added gas to the fire and then it, it took off. But I guess what's the answer now? Like, Hindsight, yeah, we totally know that was the wrong decision. Are we on the right path now? Should we stabilize rates? How long do we keep them here? Uh, do we look for more indicators? Like, you know, this will be released in about a week. So the recent inflation report is at 3.3 that came out. Um, so it's trending upwards again, but unemployment is also trending upwards. Like there's indicators that we are heading towards, if not in a recession, but there's still that inflation ticker that we just can't seem to control because the only lever they can pull on is increase the overnight rate, which is just increasing housing costs, which increases inflation. Slow down building, right? Also, it's kind of nice that we have higher interest rates now. So if our economy does tank, we do have a lever to pull there, right? We can just drop them again to get things going. Like that's kind of nice. We're not at like our comedy is tank and at zero percent interest rate, so that helps. Although I argue that it's kind of artificially here because of the interest rates. But yeah, I feel like I used to think that they were going to come down. The interest rates are going to come down at the end of this year or early next year, and now I, I think they're going to be all through twenty twenty four. I don't. I've just kind of thought of this over the last week. I don't know, what do you guys think about that? What do you What do you think they should come down, and where uh, you think they will come down? Well, I'm letting you take this. One. <laughs> <laughs> awesome great thanks <laughs> yeah let the let the over let the overly talkative guy take this one <laughs> cool wow um, <laughs> all right here we go let's get into macro economics um this is gonna take me back to university cool i would say your biggest markers are you're gonna have to look at gdp on a consistent basis so september 1st whenever this comes out what are your gdp markers how is the economy and how are businesses making money the end of the day, because that is rooted back to consumer spending and consumer spending is the core crux of inflation at the end of the day. That is people just spending an astronomical amount of money and businesses saying we can charge more money for that. There you go. That's inflation explained in five seconds. So there's obviously more that goes into those different things that, you know, markers, but that's really it at the end of the day. And so you're going to have that major marker and inflation is always a little bit tricky you can go down, you know, whatever conspiracy theory that you want at the end of the day. Yeah. Inflation is just kind of like a fun little made up number, you know, that was tossed out there, you know, to kind of 
align everything for the government to kind of do their stuff. But it's still something that we have to respect and understand with respect with how everything all operates. And as much as it went up from 2.8 up to 3.3, we're comparing those two, but the 3.3 is comparing last year's July. So it's like, we're, we're going to compare this month over month, but the actual comparison of what the inflation number actually is, is from, you know, last year's month. So you just kind of like, all right, so how does that work? What does that look like? And I always tell people that you can actually kind of see where things are going from an inflation standpoint, especially like we're going to drive by how many gas stations today, if you're going to go, you know, off on a drive, I was like, and if it's still sitting at the same dollar amount that it has for the last while, or maybe all of a sudden it's going to be, you know, four or five cents more, assume that inflation is going to either stay at that exact same marker or might even sneak up. Because again, fuel is such a deep part of everything, not only the gas that you're going to go, but also has to do with the goods because they have to get shipped everywhere and boats need to do it and planes need to fly it. And so it's such a foundational way. So, so many people are like, oh man, these were the numbers. And I'm like, man, I'm like, haven't you been driving around? I'm like gas hasn't gone down, you know, in a hot second. I was like for forever. I'm like, it's, it's either going to stay the same or, you know, be, we're not dropping uh, from that standpoint. So that's one of the major things that everyone can kind of just see and look at on a consistent basis. Then yeah, then your GDP, how our business is doing. And then Bank of Canada, if if GDP is over 1%, I don't know if the Bank of Canada, if it was me, if I was the Bank of Canada, uh, if I was Tiff, I'm like, I'd raise another quarter percent. I'd be like, I'll just, Ooh. I'd be like, let's, let's light this match. Like, let's go. Like, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can't like, you gotta, someone's gotta stop spending money, you know? And businesses, Again, they don't they don't give a crap about the rest of us. They're just going to charge whatever and we're just going to go and spend the money on it. Perfect. And inflation is just going to keep, you know, keep rocking out. I mean, I think the biggest point and I've only really come to this realization in the last couple of weeks, like I obviously I knew it was there. The X factor that they cannot control and they're trying to control by increasing rates is people spending are like North American mentality. We overspend like crazy. And I know a bunch of listeners are going to be like, no, I don't as they're driving around in their $80,000 truck, <laughs> Tesla, these payments. Yeah. Like we just, there's an absurd amount of money that we spend that we don't need to. And like, I'm sorry to vent a little bit, but I spent a lot of time overseas, uh, third world countries lived a very modest lifestyle. Like, as Canadians, we are living in luxury, you know, um, Matt, your air conditioner breaks down. It's like, Oh, all right. Like no, I don't. We consider that stuff as a necessity <laughs> now. Right? And to, to top it off, like the government kind of screwed up when, okay. So I'll, I'll highlight a few points. SIBA is like a, it was a small business loan during COVID. So they would give out $40,000. If you paid a portion of it back, you got to keep that. And then even after a few months after that, they upped it to 60. So they gave small businesses $60,000. And if you pay 20 of it back by this December, 2023, or you pay 40 of it back, you get to keep 20. You get $20,000 for free for doing nothing. Likewise for the, the Greener Homes Grant, which I agree with in a sense of trying to make housing more efficient and green, et cetera. I, I don't love the program, but same deal. They're giving out a $40,000 interest-free loan. I think it's for 10 years if you upgrade your heat pump in your house, which you know can range in price, but let's just call it $20,000. That is inflation. You're giving money away for people to spend it in the economy for free. You're literally printing money. Like that's, that's the problem. And as Canadians, 
how are we supposed to take the message from the Bank of Canada saying, hey, we're increasing rates, stop spending money. Here's $40,000, go spend it on a heat pump that's going to cost you 20. With the other 20, nah, pay us back in 10 years or don't, whatever. Like, it's just a mixed message. It's driving me crazy right now. I'm sorry. Well, we have, we have to spend money as an economy. We have to spend money, but I guess there's a limit. There's a, there's a bottom limit and a maximum. You should spend your own money. But why is it necessary for the government to give out some of these grants? Like, I don't know, it does, especially in an inflationary market. Why would you continue some of these programs to make a... They didn't start a, in the inflationary market, though, right? They didn't start there? Start before? No, it, I mean, the, the COVID grants started then, the Greener Home grants started, like, it was all within the same time period. So, yeah, rates were low. They were too low, too early. But then they came out with all of these other programs to stimulate the economy that was already fine. Yeah, I guess it's hard for me to comment on that without knowing the exact timelines because we were no when COVID happened, we, nobody knew what was like. We didn't know we were going to go through a boom. I guess in hindsight, especially real estate, we should have realized that the, literally the only thing people can do is be in a house. So obviously, they're going to spend more money on a house. Everything else, like yeah, you, we just didn't know, right? So like, I would give them a little bit of break there, depending on when those programs came out. I don't know. I don't know. But like, if they did at the bottom, it kind of makes sense because we needed to spend more money at that point. But like, there was a point where it was just obvious that money was just too cheap, right? Like even credit, everything was just way too cheap. And now inflation's just zinged up. Now everything's too expensive. Crystal ball, then where does this leave us in two, three, four, five years? Like, if you guys think that interest rates are going to be maintained or potentially even go up, but we're we're in this higher, you know, interest rate environment for the foreseeable near future, what happens to the housing market in Calgary and Kelowna? Okay. I think it is inevitable. I'm not going to say hundred percent, a 99% chance for going to have another boom. The bottom line is that we do not have enough houses. There is just not enough houses. Like I'm talking about the, the real estate market specifically. We do not have enough housing. It's just not possible. We're not, even our highest targets are not enough. And we have, Right now on Castanet, I think I saw today or yesterday that we're people can't find work as construction workers right now. And I just think that's insane when we have there is the supply and demand, there's just we have all these people coming to Canada and we're not building even close to enough houses. So the interest rates will tap this down for I don't know, maybe a year or two, maybe even three. But then after that, it's without a doubt we're gonna go through another boom. It's not like it's just not possible. Unless we just start a mass exodus out of Canada. Because it's just not, people need to live somewhere. Even if they don't buy, they're going to have to rent. And it's going to be people buying rental properties or building rental properties. And I just, there is going to be another boom. I just, I don't know when, but that's what I think. Yeah, I think you're you're right. I like, I read up on on some info and I like it when it's third party, when it's outside of Canada. That's what I always really like because you kind of get an unbiased view. Someone gets to like look in on, you know, RBS and kind of be able to take a solid you know, stab at it. So I think there's a, a bunch of a bunch of guys from Goldman Sachs or something like that down in the states. And so they said they expected a Canada wide. So that that's a caveat. So they're going to say they're going to say that the Canadian market needs to correct by roughly fifteen to twenty percent. Now, when they say Canadian market, we know they mean Vancouver and Toronto. <laughs> like that's just where the meat and potatoes of this. I would say again, what everyone talks about this bubble, this bubble bursting. And so many things, so many people then just like put it on their scenario. I'm like. 
no, like again, some of my clients, Regina, uh, Saskatoon, you guys are good. Like chill. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You guys are going to take a little bit of a bump, but I was just like, you guys aren't going to be plummeting out of kingdom come. Like you, you still have a strong, you know, good market opportunity investors, et cetera. And then you get these anomalies like Calgary, where you are having a mass exodus. Like you said, okay, mass exodus out of Canada, but we're having mass exoduses out of Ontario and out of BC coming to Calgary. And I think they have markers with respects to, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's government regulated, but there's markers on what BC should do with regards to housing starts, what Alberta should do. These are your trajectories, you know, have these, give your incentives. As a provincial government, make sure that you are allowing these permits to go through. Keep it going so that we can build these homes. And this is kind of your trajectory. We don't want to flood the market. So it's almost like quota. Uh, so quota has to do with, I don't know if you know what that means, whatever, but that's usually with regards to cattle and milk. The reason why milk can stay the same price and the same roughly you know, standpoint is because everyone kind of needs milk. I was like, so the government said, hey, we need to regulate the quota that's being done. So certain farmers have only a certain amount of quota to generate and to create so that we can keep this price appropriate. So that's the idea kind of with the housing as well. But unfortunately, we're missing the quota because here's your quota to build your homes in order to keep our economy and keep everyone housed for shelter. By the way, we're going to throw in like an extra quarter of a million people from around the world into our system, but we're not going to change our quota structure for you to provincially make sure that you're pushing through permits and getting these housing starts going. Now we're at this, now we're at this like massive mashup of we don't have enough housing starts. Well, I think in Vancouver has a massive drop off of pre-sales, you know, on, on their condos, like a huge drop off in the last like two, three months. You have all these different things that are that are happening. So people not only, you know, going off and going, picking up people aren't building because who's going to buy, you know, new to Canada can't really buy. So you you just got this, you know, we're already all strapped. So we would love to go off and go and invest, you know, in more properties to go help. But I'm like, but we can't either because of the amount of cash. So it's just this huge, unfortunate struggle where like, again, like you said, it's just a big miss. You said that we were going to do these different things, but how you acted and what we're doing to build the amount of actual shelter costs, um, like it's just killing it. So a boom 100% is going to happen just because you have so many people that are that are struggling to find options like Calgary if you're not investing in Calgary like cuz again go buy a 250 300,000 condo Vancouver Toronto that doesn't exist unless it's like a crack shack whereas I'm like you probably got 100 to 150 yeah. options in Calgary you can you know you can charge almost whatever you want for rent it's absolutely wild out here um and i'm like you're covering your payments you're doing everything i was like you sit back over the next decade i was like watch that property appreciate and watch your you know mortgage payment completely you know get knocked off by someone else i think the same to an extent obviously in in Kelowna like obviously you guys kind of follow what maybe like a little bit behind vancouver with respects to kind of that like trajectory uh so so yeah there's there's going to be something yeah, like close I kind of like the pressure release valve of the Vancouver real estate market, right? When people get once it gets too crazy, you just come to Kelowna. It's not like it sucks here, right? Like it's no, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that our population in our local market is definitely not going to shrink over the next few years. Like Calgary, I think it's the same. I think it's certain. What do you What do you think, uh, Taylor? Yeah, I, I got a couple questions for you guys. I agree. Simple supply and demand, you know, the, this kind of conversation generally goes back to that. What can we do for the supply and demand? Obviously, at a federal or municipal level, we need to expedite those building permits. Uh, DCC fees can decrease, you know, like we've had a couple city planners on and we've spoken about that a little bit. But it's it's difficult, right? Like they need to run it as a 
at least a net zero or net profit business so we can still have the infrastructure built. In terms of a potential solution, what if we were to have funding from, you know, and I know there are certain programs like this, it's essentially like this through CMHC, but for specific developers, home builders, where it's essentially 0% financing, we'll give you the money as long as your profit margin stays within say 10% or something. Because I think the the conversation around developers, everyone thinks that they're the issue where they're not building enough or they're charging too much. But really the risk that they take is massive for the profit margin that they get. So if they can show their books and say, okay, we'll build single family houses, the profit margin is going to stay less than 10%. But we know that we have zero volatility in the interest for the loan. And we can work with you know BDC or CMHC and they will give us 100% financing at 0%. We can build this product, you know, it goes to qualified developers. Do you think that would then encourage some developers to build more? Because right now, if I'm a developer, am I really encouraged to build knowing that my interest rate is probably going to be cutting into my profit margin? Like, what's the incentive for me to build over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. That, like, it's not just a question mark, it's also just expensive as hell to build. Kelowna, I've been little story here is we have infill housing where you can buy the house you're in the core neighborhood you can buy a house you can tear it down you can build a fourplex right so that during the pandemic those things went crazy they went way up in value come down to a bit more of planet earth but they went way up in value and people have been doing that so lately i've sold a few of those and the developers that bought the house asked me to ask my sellers if they would just stay in the house and either rent back or push back to closing because they just don't want to start building those houses because even just without the building, but even just carry that house, like is expensive for like $10,000 a month, probably. And you don't know, like their interface can go up. You still have to build it. They're like, you are still kind of on the tail end of supply chain issues. Like there is an issue for them to do that is massive risk. And uh, even without the risk, it's just expensive, right? You need to sell at a certain price to, uh, even make back your money. So those projects have slowed right down because of this interest rate hike, right? So your but your solution, I think, is awesome. I think it's a an ideal solution. I just I still don't think it it would be enough though. You need municipalities to allow you to build these things, and there's a lot of NIMBYs out there that don't want this in their backyard. So you get, have to find right places. You have to find the right people to do it. I think the incentive structure of, of like even if it's not 0%, but like just controllable low percent loans to do that. I think it's awesome. Um, I know I just saw that federal government announced, I think in Toronto, Vancouver, they're going to build, they're going to do something like that, but it's going to be like kind of rent controlled housing or rent purpose built housing. I think that will help. I just, I just don't know if it's enough. Even if you went full in, I just don't know if it'd be enough to, to dampen it. Well, I, I guess I'm kind of eating my own words when five minutes ago I was saying, stop giving away free money. Yeah. Man. So, <laughs> away free money. Like, there's, there's no easy solution. But I mean, the one thing is it comes back to our expectations of do we need a 3,000 square foot house with four bedrooms and three baths and a pool and a garage to park our car? Like, it's just excessive living, right? So we need to control that. But I guess if there is a boom, like, not even a boom, if prices continue to rise over the next 10 years, or even half of what they've done over the last 10 years, 
are we going to be able to afford that? Like, Mike, I guess this comes back to a mortgage qualifying question. Like, it is incredibly hard to qualify people for the houses that they want right now. How does the market continue to trend upwards if people can't afford houses? Like, we're going to have to bring in co-signers using alternative lenders, high net worth programs, extended ratios, all these things to push people into their, their top budget. But if the income isn't there to qualify them, how does the market sustain that growth if there's no one there that can afford them? Oh my gosh, yes. Not only do you have obviously so many people, you have a, a housing shortage with regards to having people living and you need to develop that, which I do. I love that idea. I think, yeah, developers need to be pretty much like handed the golden key of being able to develop whatever they want at however they want, because at the end of the day, we need housing. Now, what if you did it almost like uh, in the sense of of the, the government grant, like the down payment structure where they get a piece of the pie? So it's like, hey, we'll give you the interest, everything like that. I'm like, but you get a piece of the pie once they sell it. So now like the risk is really, really off the table for the developer, other than just the cost of putting it all in place. I was like, from that loan standpoint, but like, hey, we'll give you this loan. You know, we'll give you the money to go off and go develop it. But I'm like, we get a piece of the pie when you do go off and go sell it. So there, maybe, maybe that might help. But this idea that, you know, we're we're having this, this boom kick up and then actually being able to qualify. Everyone's talking about, hey, 20 years ago, the average household income was what, $450,000. And, you know, a home was 100000 Now, the average household income is $850,000 and homes are $480,000. You know, I was like, we only, we only doubled the amount of income, you know, in 10 years that we have. But I'm like, but we quadrupled the amount of, of homes. Wait, how, how do we qualify for that? So, yeah, extended ratios, pulling all that kind of stuff out might be the only way to even pull this. Like, are we going back to insured 30-year amortizations? I know a bunch of us brokers at our firm like chirp about it. I think I was getting into the industry as that was leaving um, that 30-year amortization. So does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Like that's, these are all tough things because economically, what's that going to look like? We also have, I don't know what percentage of our population is going to be booming, retiring and disappearing, you know, within the next X number of years. And then even fast forward within the next you know, God bless my parents. I absolutely love them. But I was like 20, 30 years, my parents are going to be passing away. And what are they going to be doing to the market? What are all these boomers going to be doing to the market? They're going to be flooding it with all these homes that kids don't need. And we're going to be selling them off at, you know, pittance, you know, so now all of a sudden you can, you look down the road at that, you know, 15, 20 year mark or, you know, people needing to sell it because they are going to be going into, you know, an old folks home or the gracious retirement living, or they want to be a part of a community because, you know, from that standpoint. So what does that even look like when we fast forward, you know, 10 to 15 years down the road in this massive influx of all these properties? I don't know. I'm always kind of curious about that. I think there's enough demand to hold on to or to eat up those properties that go, right? Like, uh, like we have enough people, right? I think we will have enough people. And at that point, I don't think they're going to have a glut of housing because of that. And also you have to keep in mind that we have like 40% of houses don't have any mortgage, right? So like we're talking about qualifying people, like we're basically just talking about how do people get into the market, right? Because once you're in the market, you really, this is not, uh, you're, you're going, you're, you're gaining equity and you're kind of, I agree. But in a rising interest rate environment, like right now, if somebody sells their house, that's a million dollar house that they qualified for three years ago, and they have the same income, they're probably qualifying for a $650,000 house. Ooh. And they're, they're screaming at me being like, three years ago, I was able to buy a million dollar house. It's like, yeah, but with the stress test and the rates have gone up, essentially they've doubled. 
we just can't qualify you. So yes, you're in the market and you have all this equity, but I think that's why there's a stagnant market. Like no one wants to sell their million dollar house to now not qualify for what they have. It comes down to that. Once you have something nice, it's hard to go back, right? Like not very many people downsize or get a cheaper car. Like when that is the obvious solution, it's like, oh, you can't afford your monthly payments on your car. Do you want to sell your car and get something that you don't have payments on? Absolutely not. That's crazy. I need my car. <laughs> well, like your car, that's not even really possible. Like with, with a car, like you can't basically when you sell a car, you rarely make money, right? You kind of just oh, but you if you have a forty thousand dollar car, you could easily drive a twenty thousand dollar car. I'm just saying it it I think it a lot of this comes back to our mindset as Canadians of what the difference is of a, a need versus a want. Like if it comes down to the basic of this is shelter, like let's say the government came out with a program. If there's so much profitability in building as developers, why doesn't the government do it? But they build 1,500 square foot houses, two bed, one bath, real simple, no stainless, no granite, no garage, and just start plunking those down. Do you feel Canadians would buy those? Yes. Honestly, in Kelowna, we, what happens in Kelowna is we are building 500 square foot condos or 5,000 square foot mansions. There are like, and then there's some townhouses. And then infill is probably the one example of downtown. We don't build three bed, two bath ranchers anymore. Those are like in high demand. So yes, I think if you could build, you could do a subdivision with 3,500, 4,000 square foot lots where you're building normal houses that normal people can afford, those will get eaten up in a second. The problem is they're just not profitable to build. You either have to build them together in a townhouse or a condo, or you've got to build them with every possible luxury to make the money. It's just not a, it doesn't make sense. Like, okay. So like stadium, so Calgary is getting a new stadium. They, the deal fell through like a year ago and then all of a sudden it's back up, but there's a combo effect of the corporation paying. I was like, and also the municipality, I was like, like the city also forking in a bunch of money, like technically the, you know, property tax and like the people of Calgary are paying for, you know, a, a portion of it as well. What if something like that be like, Hey, I'm coming in to develop. I'm putting in roads. I'm putting in power. I'm putting in lines. I'm putting in sewer. Hey, municipality, you pay for that. I was like, you go in like, cause we're going to try to develop it. And I'm like, it's going to help everyone economically. Someone would be like, why am I paying taxes for someone to go and have a home? But like, well, that's going to make your business better. I'm like, it's going to actually appreciate the value of your home. You know, that's good for you. You know, everything it's good for our entire city. We want people to live here and we want people to be comfortable. And yeah, maybe that even incentivizes it. Hey, they're going to cover 25% of the cost, which is usually just the development of just putting in services, you know, to these places and then just allowing them to be like, Hey, go in, crib it out, frame it up, you know, build this puppy, build these things, you know, that might, again, help. How do you, how do we get more homes again that are caught that are then, like you said, Hey, this is the developers are like, this doesn't make money. I have to go develop all this. I'm going to put all this money into this land. I was like, for you, I was like that you're going to then charge taxes, property taxes on. I was like, and then I have to sell it at a higher point or it's going to, again, cost me that much money. So I have to hi- sell it at a higher point, but now that's unapproachable for the people that we're actually asking to go and buy these homes for. So, Hey, let's all work together. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden the price drops because it didn't cost the developer nearly as much. And now these homes can be sold at appropriate market. Now you've got, you know, 300, $350,000, you know, homes in the Okanagan. I was like that are, you know, whether that be detached, semi-detached row housing structure, you know, um, and now something really comfortable for people to, to love. 
it's kind of funny you say that because it's actually right now it's the opposite. If you build something, you have to build. Like I, I sold a building in uh, in Lakeshore, and he had to build a building, and then he had to do sidewalk down the whole street, way past right? the street. It was like a kilometer. You had to do the sidewalk. It's like how is that? Like what? You know, like how is that? The people are paying for that. The person buying the home has to technically cover the developer's well, cost of that. Yeah, exactly. These are luxury places. Like they're like $3 million. So it's like, it just does not help the affordability at all, but you got a nice sidewalk now. So that's nice. But like, it's just, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it's so when you said that, I just, I laugh because it's actually the exact opposite. So <laughs> I know. So be like, so how do we do this? Okay. You guys are both running for council. I was like, you guys are putting this in. I was like, come on, you guys can push it through. Clone ago. Yeah. I think we definitely solved all the issues here. We'll just summarize it in a quick sentence in the show notes so people can get some clarity on it. But to, to change gears slightly, just to focus on some investors, um, if if a client comes to you or you your, yourself as an investor, where in Western Canada excites you from, you know fundamentally cash flow at works. Like if somebody wanted to build their portfolio to buy a rental property as an investment, um, where are you looking right now? Now we go on short-term or long-term or just a combo effect? Whatever you prefer. Okay. Obviously I like a long-term just based off of being a mortgage broker, because that's all the lenders will play around with, with regards <laughs> to actually qualifying. Um, unless you've got that two, three years worth of the Airbnb income on your T1 generals. And even then the majority of lenders are like, eh, we don't like it. So again, we just have to get creative in our world. Either or, like from a short-term base standpoint, again, I'm just a sucker for the Okanagan because that's an easy knockout of the park during the summer just because you guys have so much tourism. Um, finding something along those lines, again, if you want to jump in on an Airbnb, put something in place, have you know a company manage it if you are someone that lives elsewhere or you live right in the Okanagan, I think that is pretty much like a knockout of the park unless you, you know, it's almost impossible to not do it properly. <laughs> I, I feel like. So the Okanagan is definitely going to be extremely strong for a lot of those short term. But then are you guys having a lot of difficulty with regards to like, are they trying to kick out a lot of the Airbnb and the, and the Verbo and stuff like that? They are, right? Uh, they are revising the bylaws for single family houses. There's a few, uh, well, there's about 11 or 12 condo units that have bylaws that allow short term rental. And we did an episode, I think it's episode 11 or 12 that we covered all those units. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. Knowing all that, obviously having a phenomenal, you know, real estate agent like, like Matt to be able to know which ones those are going to be and how you're going to be able to line that all up. So I think that obviously Calgary is just, again, I live here and, and I'm around it and I have all the realtors talking about it and I'm just seeing it on a consistent basis. I was like, you're borderline printing money in Calgary for the next three to five years. If you buy a real estate property now, a condo to a certain extent, just again, you got the condo fees. That's just going to eat up qualifying. It's going to eat up different things. But man, if you're looking at a townhome, if you're looking at anywhere from 350 to 500 townhouse, maybe some of this, you know, semi-detached, detached, whatever that are further outside of the core. Yeah. It's just, it's going to be absolutely wild. Um, with what happens out here because you have so much migration and you have such an aggressive demand that with not even anywhere near the supply. And I don't think that's going to be changing anytime soon. I agree. Alberta, honestly, it excites me as an investor. We had Corey Peckford a few shows ago and um, yeah, there's some great properties out there. Definitely. Yeah. And approachable for people. Like you said, Hey, you know, yeah. Okay. We, 
you know, let's just say take the exact same property, you know, okay, half a million dollars, you know, invest in Calgary, you know, or the Okanagan. It's like, okay, well, that's where I think it's still, it's just going to be what you want. Okay. You want a long-term rental. You want something that's going to have a little bit more of that security appreciation structure, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Calgary is great. You want something that's going to have some solid cash flow and you can run it and manage it properly. Okanagan all day. I was like, because then you can do that short-term structure. So if you want that cash flow and that immediate release every single month, I was like, I'm building that up. Awesome. If you want to do the long play, Calgary. Um, and not that Kelowna and the Okanagan isn't going to have that. It definitely is. But it's just that more like you just see it. It's like, okay, there, there's the bullseye. This is like whatever the second ring outside the bullseye is, is like the Okanagan, <laughs> right? So it's like they're, they're, you're going you're gonna to smash it no matter what. Especially if you're, I think if you're leveraged to a large mortgage amount, Kelowna is hard to make cash flow. Um, since it's affordable, probably in Alberta, you wouldn't have to be leveraged as much. And it, just in the current interest rate environment, um, last last kind of question I want to touch on before switching over to our final questions with you. Um, speaking about interest rate, you know, to put your broker hat on, is interest rate the most important thing when clients come to you? Like, I know there's some controversy that uh, I won't say the name of the broker, but I'm happy if you want to. But essentially, you're gonna yeah, throw me under the bus. You're gonna make me. I'm gonna get banned all over social media by this guy if I end up saying it. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. There are some brokerages that run ultra low fees. We just shop the cheapest lenders. We don't care what the the fine print is. Um, that that can totally fit certain clients. Other clients, they need different products. Like that's why we need to learn what the priorities are for the client. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts on on that? What should be people looking for when they're looking for a broker? When you have someone that says, when you have a broker that's going to be having a conversation with you as a client, and they're going to say, blanket statement, interest rate isn't the most important thing. I'm not saying run for the hills. I'm just saying. What the heck's going on? No, interest rates should be one of the most important things that is a part of the conversation with regards to what you're looking at. And then you go to your topics, obviously, beyond that. So yes, it is one of the most important things that has to do with the mortgage and is something that always needs to be considered and it's always on the table for what you need to pursue. Now, is it the only thing and should brokers be looking outside of that? Yeah, 100%. If you want to go off... And again, I've worked at these places. I've worked at two different places that are what I would call discount brokerages. You're just going to buy down the interest rate. Posted rate that's being online is the lowest structure, whether it be their partnership with Equitable, where they can buy it down by 25 bips and they're getting 165 you know, their, their little premier gold platinum structure, whatever their scenario is off in the background, whatever that looks like, then good, great. If you're just doing a transaction that's going to go do that, if you want to have, again, the minimal service, you just are out here to go buy a pair of pants at Old Navy, then go buy your pair of pants at Old Navy. But if you want someone, you know, who's going to be helping you get your outfit and look good for the job interview. And what else do you have also going down the line? Oh, you've also got a wedding down. Well, hey, then this suit, you know, this suit can actually not only like fit with regards to that wedding, but it's also going to be phenomenal for that job interview and that presentation that you got next month and that other, because that's how it should work. And so that might cost a little bit more and not even from like a higher interest rate. And that has nothing to do with commission. So that's the big thing. So these brokerages are saying they're going to go do it because they're going to take the lowest amount of commission because we're able to buy down our interest rate. We can take less commission and get the client a lower interest rate. And that's a sidebar to see, hey, should maybe clients possibly pay to see if they want to instead of us necessarily paying? That's a fun little topic off to a side. Because um, down in the States, they do that all the time. But from that standpoint, I've got clients like, okay, so perfect example. I've got clients, they're going to have their second kid. 
they live off in Vancouver and their home, they have a good amount of equity and everything else along those lines. And so, but they don't have any family around. They don't have any support. So being someone who's has, you know, has two kids and understanding what that kind of support means as you're growing your family is extremely important. So now am I going to be having a conversation based strictly around the interest rate? And that's the only thing that I'm going to be looking at, or am I going to be looking at opportunity for them to either refinance that property, be able to pull out more money? Yes, they're sitting at a, you know, 3.5, but you know, we'd have to jump up that interest rate, you know, quite aggressively, but that's going to give them the equity in order to allow them to move to Edmonton, where they're going to be with family, where their quality of life is going to be in complete honesty, dramatically different in comparison, just being like, well, we need to hold on to this interest rate. Or again, the interest rate being the only bit of the conversation or looking at someone and going and, and, and having that conversation back and forth of, hey, you can qualify for this home. Hey, you can look at this. But if you looked at alternative lending, or if you looked at this scenario based off your equity, we can actually access this much more and this, and we can write off that expense. And this is how the tax bracket's going to work. And we're actually going to take a loss, but that's going to give you, you know, a tax refund of, you know, three, 4,000. Like again, that's the difference between, I think, a lot of brokers when it goes to the interest rate is still going to be important. I'm still going to talk to why the alternative interest rate is as high as it is, but I'm also going to fast forward. I'm going to break the entire thing down and I'm going to show you why you're going to double your net worth in the next two years by doing something like this. And I'm not transactional. I'll look at you and I'll say, no, go renew at CIBC. No, go off to RBC. Go do that because that interest rate is really awesome and actually makes a ton more sense for us to then you know, jump through all this. And I think so many brokers don't do that. They're only transactional. They're like this one gentleman's firm where they're only looking at the transactions sitting in front of them. And that's all they can think about. Just get this deal done, get at the absolute lowest interest rate, get my commission, bang, done. I'm a salary-based employee. I need to do this. I'm scared I'm going to get fired by this person. All those were amazing points. I fully agree with, with everything you said. The cheap, ultra-low transactional rate that has a certain place for some clients Right now, I, I don't feel that serves a lot of clients. There's too much volatility in the market. Like At least with my clients, people are having families. They're growing into bigger homes. They want to buy a rental property in three years. They want to do a renovation. Like You just really have to be aware of, of everyone's wants and needs. Because yeah, if you put them in the wrong product, although it might save money monthly for the first two or three years, it could be detrimental in the future. So uh, Especially right now with the economy. And again, if things are going to cycle back. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So for at a high level, like if somebody locks in at a five and a half percent fixed rate right now, and they break that in a couple of years and rates are down at 3%, well, it's going to cost you a, an absolute fortune when you break yeah. that mortgage. So yeah. Anyway, speak to the right people, but uh, we're going to dive into our, what we call our icebreaker round here. We'll, we'll try and be conscious of your time, but uh, oh, no. you touched on <laughs> time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the ice maker section brought to you by myself, Matt Glenn. If you could buy one property in the Okanagan in the next year, investment, recreational, what would it be? It would be like a recreational investment, something that I can still utilize. Again, that's why I like the short-term rental. So I can block off certain points and times that I'd be able to go jump off and be able to go. Okay, again, I'm being outside of the Okanagan, having that. Um, so someone that's outside looking to invest into that area, that's definitely because I'd want to benefit. Because again, like I said, it's gorgeous. Love it there. So why not make the money, have someone pay off the mortgage, property taxes, everything else along those lines. Um, and then I can go technically go be there for free for a couple of weeks out of the year. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever spent money on? Best thing I ever spent money on was uh, about two years ago, I was out on dating apps and uh, newly single and checking just out the world. And I was on the Bumble app, ended up coming across this profile of my now girlfriend. 
on these apps, you're able to kind of go and, you know, buy a rose or go and be like, Hey, a bunch of 10 roses for whatever, 20 bucks or something. And I never bought any of them before or anything like that. You're just kind of swiping. And I was like, no, I, I have to, I have to get whatever this rose star gold, whatever the hell this thing is, I'm buying it. And I'm like, I'm aggressively, this person needs to see me, you know, from, cause usually it's just like, someone's just going to, if you match someone cool, great. And then if they end up swiping, then you end up kind of having that, whereas that kind of gets pushed through. Um, and just kind of say, Hey, this person sent you this and, uh, yeah, best, best money I ever spent best 20 bucks. So I was like, cause yeah, um, it's absolutely wonderful live together and, and have our nice little life together. I love that answer. That may be one of the best yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. Best book or quote. Yeah. Man, I actually, I think I sent this answer already in and I think I actually forgot. Did I completely? Oh no, Range, Range, that book, Range um, by David Epstein. I love it. As someone who has ADD, um, take medication for it and stuff like that. And, and just, you know, working through that and kind of wondering why I'm awkwardly good at so many weird, random things throughout my entire life. Uh, and, and kind of reading range was really insightful for me because there's the whole 10,000 hour rule. I'm like, I had to do one thing and I had to black out, you know, for a decade. And then that's the only way that I could ever be excellent at it. And he breaks it down and he shows like all these high end, you know, scenarios, everything from, you know, from sports from, you know, Federer who didn't start tennis until he was quite a bit later in comparison to the most tennis pros that are out there, but he played all these other sports. So his ability to think and do was wildly different than the majority of other tennis players. And that's why he you know, as good as he was, or, you know, Steve Nash playing soccer for as long as he did in Vancouver in the BC area, good Canadian boy. I was like, the reason why he was, you know, should have had a three-time MVP back to back to back was because again, he played so much soccer so he could see and do. So you take all these sports analogies, you take all these different things, all these studies that they, they break down. And it just was like people who are going to be doing a lot of different things can think outside the box and can create, you know, phenomenal business opportunity. Um, so I think that was just insightful for me. And I felt I'm like, Oh, good. I don't have to keep beating myself up that I'm not some excellent 10,000 hours, you know, in this one situation. So. All right. So how can our listeners help you? What do you, what do you want us to do for you? I don't know. Just listen to all the information, take it all in, um, follow all of us along on social media. Just, I would say, just think outside the box, ask, be curious. At the end of the day, I just want people to be curious and ask the questions, ask the tough ones, ask the awkward stuff to your broker, to your real estate agent. Um, if you don't know what those questions are, obviously reach out to any of us and at the end of the day, have fun with this kind of stuff. Again, this is supposed to be making you richer. This shouldn't be just a transaction of a mortgage or just buying. Okay, cool. Great. Like again, real estate agents, you guys get to kind of have a little bit more of that fun. Be like, we're finding the dream home. We're doing the adventure and yay. But then sometimes it can be wildly stressful. And it's like, all right, fine. I'll just pick this up because there's nothing else out there and I'll just buy this place. Um, so there's obviously that balance of, you know, just having a team that's going to back you, whether that be me, whether that be Taylor, whether that be Matt, you know, yeah, just be curious and and have a ton of fun with this because this is supposed to make you richer and wealthier. And if it isn't, then you know who to reach out to. And then, so are you, you're pretty active on Instagram and TikTok? Yeah, trying to be. Yeah, TikTok's a little bit more like kind of like that long form educational slash, you know, whatever headline clickbait stuff that you kind of play around with just to play with the algorithms and the social media. And then Instagram, I would say, kind of plays a little bit more like I have quite a bit of fun on Instagram, whether I'm going to be sarcastic, have a fun sound, um, kind of play around with a little bit more kind of like the professionals, you know, that are out there. Cause that's usually my heavy following over there. So, uh, just to kind of play around with all of it and see what kind of comes up in my head each day and throw it out there. Love it. I can't remember if we were talking about this before recording, but your, uh, your handle is the mortgage money Wiz. Yeah. We mortgage money Wiz. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. People should follow you. That'd be great. 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll throw all your information in the show notes there, but, um, I, I loved this conversation, man. It was really good. It was awesome. It was very good. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I love, I love chatting all this kind of stuff and yeah, all of it's such a blast. (laughs) Hopefully it wasn't too boring for any of the like listeners. I was like, you know, again, we're trying to make them, we know this isn't the most wonderful stuff on the face of the earth. We're trying, we're trying guys. (laughs) Yeah. This is good. Hopefully all our predictions, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back in a year and figure out if we were right or wrong or not. Ooh, I would like that. Yeah. 100%. I was like, just make, if yeah. we're wrong, I'm like, we're not going to post it. But I'm like, we're right. We're throwing it in <laughs> yeah. everyone's face, 100%. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, well, uh, have a great day. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.